The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We are here to have the conversations that will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio, everybody. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. Uh, I'm part of the clinical leadership at Autism Spectrum Therapies, an agency based out of California, but providing services all across the country to uh, individuals with autism and other developmental disabilities. Uh, also a BCBA, Board Certified Behavior Analyst, uh, working in the field for about 12 years, um, really working primarily with uh, young adults and teens, uh, but also spending uh, quite a bit of time working with uh, early intervention and preschool age kids as well. Um, I had a really cool week uh, since the last show. Um, actually spent a lot of time out in the field observing uh, some of our clients and really getting to see some old clients. And um, was just really excited to just share with you guys uh, this this great evolution of, of a program. Um, got to see an old client of mine. Um, we haven't worked together for probably about five years now. And we started working together about seven and a half, eight years ago. And at the time of us starting his intervention and really putting together his program, he was uh, actually a little bit late to ABA. He was uh, eight years old. He's 16 now. Um, and at eight years old, this little guy uh, really, really did well with uh, social stories. He particularly did well when he could read, uh, have a picture of what was going on, and then have the words. Uh, his reading skills were actually one of his uh, best academic skills, but it actually really translated well into his functional skills. He could read signs in stores and restaurants in the community. Uh, really helped us a lot with safety awareness. But we found that uh, his reading was also a huge tool with our social stories, and we could really break things down and really focus on some antecedent-based interventions or some proactive strategies to prep him through a story about what was going to happen. Big changes in his life, maybe um, a family vacation, maybe transitioning to a new school, um, maybe a field trip, um, or even being the first step in the introduction of a new skill. So at eight years old, when we wanted to really work on wiping um, after having a bowel movement, we first introduced it through this social story and then paired some other reinforcement strategies with it. Um, second step. And so I got a chance to see him in the field just, just a couple days ago. And um, his, uh, his mom was showing me what they were doing and what they were working on. And she said, watch the social story we use. And they pulled out his iPad with a keyboard. And I basically watched him write his own social story, which really didn't look like any social story we ever made. It was more of a 
to-do list, uh, a checklist. Uh, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow because he had, I guess, a, a big field trip with his class to a location he's never been before um, with a group of people he's never really traveled with because he's in a new class this year and this is their first big field trip. And he just wrote the whole thing, putting putting in all his different points um, and they were they were laughing about how he's figured out how to use bullets. So now everything is bullets rather than sentences because he realized, hey, I can type a lot less and this will be a lot easier. Uh, but they said they do this all the time is he's writing all of his own social stories and they've really turned into to-do lists or, you know, where they basically get to analyze, okay, what is likely going to happen at this field trip? What do you need to bring with you? What do you need to do in certain situations? And they almost use it to then uh, step into some problem-solving scenarios. And I was just so excited about just the evolution of this one basic little, let me read to you what's going to happen tomorrow at school, to him starting to anticipate and think about what's going to happen the next day at school and what he needs to prepare himself uh, for. Um, and of course, the most important thing is he had a great field trip, I found out uh, a, a few days later. So it was just really, really exciting to see this this all come together in kind of an eight-year progression of something that we think is pretty basic and uh, pretty standard, especially in some of the early interventions out there, um, and then really evolve into true independence and, and, and problem solving, which was um, one of our biggest goals for him when, when we started uh, as, a, as a long-term goal. All right, let's talk a little bit about today's show, and let's get into, uh, get into our conversation. Um, got an old friend back with us, uh, Previous guest, uh, Dr. Jim Balls, here today uh, to talk to us a little bit about um, early intervention and some different things um, as it relates to setting up a good program. And some specifically want to get into some questions I've been getting. Um, but just in case you guys um, didn't hear our last show with uh, with Jim or or uh, or forgot his background, let me fill you in on what he's been doing and and, and why he's just such a great guest for us. Um, Dr. Jim Ball, he's also a board-certified behavior analyst. I mean, he's been working in the private sector field of autism for 25-plus years. Um, in a variety of settings, he has provided educational, employment, and residential services to children and adults affected with autism. Uh, Dr. Ball has lectured nationally and internationally, provided expert testimonial, and published in the areas of early intervention, behavior, consultation services, social skills, technology, and trauma. He's a featured author and is on the advisory board of the Autism Asperger's Digest magazine. He, his 2008 triple award-winning book, Early Intervention in Autism, Real Life Questions, Real Life Answers, was released in February 2008. Um, he's a former board of trustee member of the New Jersey Center for Outreach and Services for the Autism Coalition, COSAC, which is now um, Autism New Jersey, and he's also a member of the COSAC Autism New Jersey Professional Advisory Board. Jim, welcome back to the show. Rob, thanks for having me back. Ah, it's great to have you here. Um, you know, before we kind of get into some of the, the questions I've been getting and, and some of the discussion, I was really hoping to kind of set the stage and just kind of give everyone a little bit of background um, to, to frame our conversation. Um, and, you know, one of the, the questions that I think most parents, uh, when they're getting a diagnosis for the first time and, and kind of stepping into early intervention, is 
probably, you know, what is the right time for me to start and how much should I start with? Right, right. I think, uh, you know, initially it, it, the, the correct answer to the first part is immediately because uh, we do know that through the research, you know, the earlier you diagnose the child, the better the quality and quantity of services that are provided, the better the prognosis is long-term. So, so there's really good research to, to um, substantiate that. So as soon as the child is diagnosed, you know, or even at risk, getting that uh, early intervention service is, is paramount to, to their success later on in life. And, and we've seen that again and again in a lot of our, our young people. The second part is a tricky one because... It's more about the quality of the engagement with the child, not necessarily the services the child receives, um, because the family, the grandparents, any extended family, any significant others to the house can play a huge role in early intervention as long as they've been trained correctly and given the strategies to be successful. It's about that engagement and keeping that kid engaged as much as possible. So when you talk about you know training, um, you know, like maybe parents, maybe grandparents, the different people in the home, like what kind of things are we thinking about? Are we thinking about them becoming kind of mini ABA therapists or is it more of a, a broader strategy approach? You know, from, from what you, you and I do for a living, you know, we've seen this be so successful. And to me, it is about using the techniques of applied behavior analysis in a more naturalistic setting, which is the home. So mm -hmm. understanding the, the, the use of reinforcement, understanding motivators, understanding, you know, when to use what prompting and how to use it to make the child successful and then to build on that, to use chaining, you know, uh, protocols to really look at, you know, um, ways to backward and forward chain, you know, activities so that the child is successful. And it's always about that positive experience and, and getting engaged with the kid so that it's a learning experience, not only for the kid, but for the, the person. And engaging them. Now, with with all of this, because I agree with you, I feel like sometimes there's this misconception. Parents think that they have to become these mini ABA therapists themselves, and, and you know the feedback I get sometimes is, you know, I, I don't want to sit and do DTT with my child, um, which is not necessarily what I ask a parent to do. You know, I, I want them to know the, the, the concepts and the things you said. Um, do you have a preference or do you think there's a way to start? If, if I'm a new parent, is it important for me to really get the understanding of, of the terminology of what you talked about? Like what is reinforcement? How does it work? How do I use it? Maybe understanding functions. Or is it better for them to really get in more hands-on and kind of learn a little bit by doing after then applying some, and then kind of learn some of the concepts with it? I, I think you can do a combination because I do think that, and for a lot of the early intervention families I work with, as you look at the, the federal laws and all the things that, that substantiate how we provide um, that types, these types of therapies for the under three group, you know, um, all of it is in the home. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the emphasis is in the home, and it's more about the teaching of the actual parents or the caregivers or the significant others, you know, um, who are 
part of that child's world more so than it is the actual therapy of working with the child. So mm-hmm. the, the federal law, the way it is written, is about helping the family because they are going to be the ultimate teachers of all of these kids. And by mm-hmm. getting them in there and getting hands-on and showing them the different prompting techniques and the prompting hierarchy and how you move from one to the other to, to make your child successful and, and feel good about themselves and build their self-esteem around you know, being able to interact with the environment, those are all the first things you want to really help the, the, the family or the individuals that are working with the kid in the home to do. And then building on there, you can always add the terminology. And it always amazes me. And it was a conversation I just had today because I happened to be working uh, in West Virginia, you know, in one of the counties that I work in. And I was having a conversation with their behaviorist and, you know, a teacher who had been doing this for a very long time said to me, she goes, well, you know, um, when you said, you know, it can be an ABA classroom and we don't do discrete trials, she said, I didn't get that. Um, because a lot of people jump in immediately thinking, well, you have to do this discrete trial. Well, you don't right. have to. Incidental teaching is a part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, for the families, I think is, is, the, is the more critical skill to teach, more so than the discrete trial, because it's more about generalizing and maintaining those behaviors than it is the initial teaching if you have other people doing those things for you. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I think sometimes from the, a lot of the families, I, I just met this... Um, it's really great family. Uh, last week, you know, the mom was, was on top of, she kind of knew a lot of the basics and she actually had a bit of a DTT background, but her number one thing was, I just need support creating a, a structure. Like, right. Our life is chaotic. I need you to help me with transitions. I need you to help me with, you know, routines. Like she actually was more concerned about a lot of the self-help stuff. Right. Because she's like, I know how to play with my kid. I actually love playing with my kid. It's the rest of our lives that's kind of crazy. Right. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way of looking at like her intervention and what really can go a long way for a family. Well, yeah, and, and it, it always amazes me because I'll go into homes and you can tell somebody has been in there who has a little bit of, of, of information or a little bit of knowledge and they've got a huge you know, picture schedule on the refrigerator from the time the kid gets up to the time the kid goes to bed. And, and I look at the family and I'm like, okay, we're going to scrap this. And they, they yeah. horrify look at me and I'm like, you're going to pick priority times when you're going to use this because we're not going to overwhelm you and the kid because I've seen so many families in the same paradigm you know, try to use it and try to really try to stay on it. And you know, in the home, you just can't do that. I mean, home is different um, than a clinic setting or a school setting. So it's not something you can structure that way. So by, by setting the family up with this huge schedule and them not being able to use it and it be effective, they get punished by it. So they stop using it. Um, and it's the same paradigms we work with, you know, with, within, the, within the children, you know, or with the children. So mm-hmm. you've got to pick the priority time. Is it when they get up? Is it when they get home from school? Is it when they, you know, have, you have to do it before nap? Is it before dinner? Is it after dinner? Is it during dinner? Is it the bath time? What is the priority that we want to tackle? And we do real small increments of that, you know, and then build up. So it's, it's really getting them to just, you know, focus and really figuring out, okay, when is the time that I really need to focus my energy because I, I really say to all my early intervention families, not every moment is a teaching moment. Mm. That's, a, that's a really good point. Um, I actually want to kind of pause on that point because it, it's a perfect time for us to take a commercial and I think this concept of priority time is one I, I want to come right back to when we get back from this break. We'll be right back everybody. Mm-hmm. 
opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, joined today by Dr. Jim Ball. I'm um, talking about early intervention. Um, and, you know, right before the break, I, I really love the, the term you use, kind of priority time. You know, thinking about what are the, the key priorities for the use of that picture schedule. But I know you also mentioned what are the key priorities for this child? What are the, the priorities for this program? Um, I was curious, though, how, how do you help figure out what those priority times are when, if you've got a family who maybe isn't sure, maybe they feel like, I've got 20 priorities, there's a ton of things we want to do, or maybe they're, they're not even quite sure where to start, they're, they're, they're just so new to everything that, um, that they're really not sure what the number one priority should be. Yeah, I think at that point, what what you really need to do, and 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 I do this, you know, with a lot of my families, is just have that candid conversation and talk about the day, and talk about the child, and talk about the siblings, and talk about the, you know, the uh, the significant others that are that might be in their lives. So if you know, if it's a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or who, who's with them, and and see how the conversation goes, because you can always tell from the family where those stressor areas come from. Um, and really try to focus in on you know you know where the family needs that support in order for you know in order for the young person to be successful. And there are certain things that that I think need to be tied into um, an EI program. And again, it's depending on age and when kids are ready. But one of my biggest things in working you know with the individuals is always around a communication system. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen so many individuals that I've gone into homes and they're working on all kinds of different skills and they're still not able to communicate effectively their needs and wants. And we know that a lot of the behaviors come from that particular function uh, mm-hmm. and families and, and even therapists continue to just push on. And even if the kid has some verbal language, they're still not using systems. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. the one priority that I always try to work with the families on is picking times to really focus in on maybe it's a meal time, maybe it's a, uh, an activity time. How do we really push this communication thing so your child knows that they have to respond to you, they've got to um, direct with you, they've got to be social with you, they've got to understand that you're part of this environment and they need to activate you in order to get the things that they need so that you can start that um, reciprocal social experience with, with your child so that they understand where you fit and they fit in the environment. That makes, I mean, that makes perfect sense, and it, it feels like it goes really hand-in-hand hand with back to that idea of a communication system is not teaching a parent DTT. It's actually more about here's a, a system, a framework that you're going to use, and whether you use it in this time of day or that time of day doesn't matter so much as long as we are clear on consistently using it. It, it yeah. goes hand-in-hand hand with your parent ed approach. Yeah, and and it's always, you know, you, you start to discuss highly motivating times for the individual, you know, child so that you know those are the times where you really want to pull it out. And, and, and really with families, I stay with very small increments just like with the kids. I'm like, listen, I'm not asking you to give me five hours a day. I'm asking you to give me in the beginning maybe 15, 20 minutes. You know, and when can you do that? When can you let everything go and focus in on what we're going to do? And then once they're reinforced by it and see that their kid is being successful, they naturally start to bring that in themselves. Mm-hmm. Are you, um, you know, I, I know a lot of BCBAs when they're doing programs like this, EI programs, starting off with the 15, 20 minute increments, um, they'll do like little homework assignments things like that for the parents to follow up on? Is that something uh, you're a big proponent of? Do you do it a little differently? No, I'm a big proponent of it because I think the the people who get applied behavior analysis, and I'm sure you've dealt with this yourself, um, get the science of it. Um, they, they know that generalization starts right from the very beginning. It's the ones that don't get it where you go into households and you get kids that perform for you because they know they've got to do something for you, but they mm-hmm. have no clue why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, yeah. And I can't tell you how many EI programs I've taken over where there was somebody in the house who was a behaviorist who knew discrete trial but didn't understand the science of applied behavior analysis and didn't take it to the next level in helping the family to use those types of techniques techniques in order to make the kids successful again. Um, and, and I hate to keep saying it, but I, it's all about making the kids successful. It's all about making the kid, you know, understand their environment because the more they do, then the more the, the anxiety goes down and the more risks they're going to take. And, and that just opens up many more learning opportunities. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like we've got the foundation here and it, it's a perfect time, you know, to, to segue or transition a bit to, a, a key question I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, I've been getting this a lot, and I've not just been getting it from parents. I've been getting it from colleagues. I've been getting it from kind of other service professionals we work with. It's home-based early intervention or clinic-based early intervention. Uh, you, you have these two different schools of thought. I see a lot of... Um, ABA, early intervention, preschool type of settings popping up or, or EI type settings. Um, I know, you know, in New Jersey, I, I know there's a lot of really great facilities and great programs out there doing just that. Um, I got to 
participated in one in Massachusetts when I was living on the East Coast. Um, how does a parent decide? Is there one better than the other? And how does a parent decide which is right, which they should go with? The, the going thought is basically uh, a home-based program. Um, and that's how the, the law is developed. So any early intervention services that you're going to be receiving by any state agency mm-hmm. is going to be strictly home-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will provide occupational therapy to some kids depending, and this is very individualized, depending on what the kids' needs are. Um, speech and language, you know, physical therapy, uh, and then developmental therapy or applied behavior analysis, depending on what state you're in and what kinds mm-hmm. of services are provided. And those are strictly done in the home because, again, the, the early intervention laws are written to really focus in on the family Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than the individual therapy for the child. So it's about training the, the, the family and, and, the, and the significant others in the child's life to be successful you know, with that particular child. Now, mm-hmm. as they get into that three to five range, you still will have people using the terminology early intervention. Um, and you'll also get families from zero to three that will pay privately to get services. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I always look at it as trying to develop the best blended program that you can because there's um, obviously really good attributes to using both. You know, the home-based being that it's in the child's environment, they're much more comfortable there. Uh, You can establish the rapport so much easier in that environment. Um, And then you can also incorporate the training of the people that are in this child's life. But on the other hand, the therapy-based one that's in a clinic to me is also important because you get the kid to go to different environments. You start to do repetition on getting the child, you know, to be able to generalize skills or maintain them in different environments. Uh, and also for me, um, with my families, it's always about getting them around other children. And a lot of times those clinic-based um, activities can be done uh, in social skills or have social skills groups or get them around neurotypical kids as much as possible so that they, they start to understand that um, that's who they need to respond to and, and be directed by, not necessarily always adults. So I, it seems like there's a progression. It seems like you, know, you, you set this foundation up, um, you know, maybe pure form, ideal world. You set the foundation up in the home under the age of three, and then in those preschool years, it seems like for, for most kids, it's probably a good time to transition into more of this group, pre-academic, um, almost like, gen- you know, I guess using their ABA terminology, it's like a generalization into these new settings and these new peers of what you've already been establishing in the home. Right, right. Because that, and that's the one thing I struggle with the most when it comes to um, early intervention going into school-aged because mm-hmm. what I do in early intervention and what all early interventionists do is you make the family the keeper of all the knowledge. They're the mm-hmm. one that knows this kid the most. We talk about them being their first teacher and going to be their, their teacher for the rest of their lives uh, and giving them and building them up to have the skill level to be successful. And then the child turns three, and then it's like, okay, they go to district, and the district's like, okay, they're ours now. Goodbye. Right. Well, well, we just spent the last whatever time in early intervention telling this family and building this family up to be the one that has the keeper of the knowledge, yet when they turn three, all of a sudden the school district's like, okay, wait a second, it's us, goodbye. 
Um, so yeah. I do actually spend a lot of time working with my families um, and also with the districts on having a mutual respect for one another in, you know, who has the knowledge uh, and, and setting up the program as the child ages out of early intervention and into, into school aged. So with all of this, you know, I have a couple of questions, but you know what? I'm not going to give you enough time to answer if I ask you now. So why don't we do this? Let's head to break a little early. But you've given me a couple of thoughts of these, the not so common, or or maybe the I should say maybe like more like the the common, the real life kind of variations on some of what we see. So let's take this quick break and let's come back more with Dr. Jim Ball. Better Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, joined today by Dr. Jim Ball. We've been talking a lot about early intervention, um, key elements of it, um, and, and also kind of the right environments for it uh, in, in structuring programs. I'm really talking a lot about this idea of home versus clinic, um, uh, a point that's been coming up a lot in my, in my travels and in my conversations over the last couple months. Um, you know, you talked about this, this passage, and, and I really liked the flow of it. It's, you know, parents are becoming the experts on their child more than just in terms of likes, dislikes, um, who they are as a person. They're also becoming now these educational experts, um, behavioral experts on their child through early intervention prior to preschool and then school. Um, but the reality is that I, I, I speak to and I meet so many parents who say, I didn't get early intervention at two. We started to get our intervention at three and a quarter, three and a half. Um, that diagnosis is sometimes really hard to find. And, and I, I know, you know, with all the work you've done, 
you know that diagnosis is what sometimes is like the key to getting into all these services and all the funding that the state and now that the insurance companies offer. Is is there a way, does that family, if they get diagnosed and they're starting intervention at three and a half, should they, is there a one size fits all where should they be going back to that first step or can there be some sort of simultaneous work between home and school? Like how, how do you generally try and set that up? Uh, it's a good question, and, and it's interesting because the, the research that's come out of the Marcus Center in Atlanta, Georgia, from Ami Klin talks about that our average age of diagnosis at this point in time is 3.5, which wow. means that a vast majority of our kids don't even get into the early intervention system. Yeah, uh, And for our minority families, it's 4.5. So we're way behind in seeing these kids as early as possible to really remediate a lot of the skill level that they have, um, you know, uh, when they, as they get older, because we do know that, again, through the research, the brain is more malleable, you know, and you can actually make really good gains, you know, uh, in neuropathway development the, the earlier you start intervention. Um, but having said that, when you do get a family that the kid is around 3.5 or is already engaged in some kind of preschool programming, um, I do a lot of those types of what I like to call blended programs where, again, they are getting the school program for if it's maybe social skills or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, academic development and then doing a home program that's more around life skills or um, around teaching just basic skills. Because for me, you know, coming out of preschool and coming out of early intervention, I- I'm, and again, I'm not saying these are the primary three skills that I look for, but these are the ones that I really emphasize. Uh, and the first one um, is toilet training. Uh, I can't tell you how many kids in the middle and high school level that I see that are still in diapers that just drive me nuts because these mm-hmm. kids seeing them should have been toilet trained. Uh, and for a quality of life indicator, you know, uh, because of the adult services system in this country um, being, you know, really good in pockets but also really bad in other pockets uh, around the country, if your child is not toilet trained when they age out of school, you have now curtailed the amount of opportunities they're going to have. Uh, and I always like to work with my families around choice. Um, so that's a huge skill that needs to be addressed, uh, you know, in those, in those early ages because that's where you can really make a huge difference. And not necessarily just toilet trained. They can be schedule trained, you know, because there is a difference. You know, schedule right. training is when they go and they don't have accidents on the schedule, and that, that's as good as sometimes being toilet trained because some of our kids are, you know, are, will be schedule trained and, and, and maybe never toilet trained, but they'll always be schedule trained, which is a good thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and, and the second is that they've got to respond to adult direction, and a lot of times you can get that done through the house in just incidental teaching and getting the kid to follow through because, uh, again, that's one of the things I work with a lot of my families on is I tell them never ask a question that you're not going to follow through on. As long mm. as the kid's not killing themselves or anybody else in the corner and you can't deal with it right now because you've got another child to deal with, you've got a spouse to deal with, you've got a significant other there to deal with, you've got a phone call you're on, let the kid go, and when you're ready to deal with it, deal with it and do it the correct way. Because, again, not every moment's a teaching moment. Because right. in order for them to be successful in school, they've got to be able to follow adult direction. And then the third thing I work with families on uh, is really doing uh, a lot around water safety um, because the, one of the number one causes of death of children under the age of five with autism is drowning. 
Yeah. Uh, and it's strictly attached to um, a research article that had come out about eight or nine months ago um, that talked about the number one stressor for families of children on the spectrum, and it was wandering or elopement. Mm-hmm. And a vast majority of our kids will elope or wander, uh, and when they get out, they are attracted to water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really talk about that, you know, um, that safety issue because I happened to be on the uh, interagency autism coordinating committee through the federal government, which came out of um, the Combating Autism Act, and I was appointed um, to the commission as a community member. And one of the things we're looking at is really how to affect that with families wow. being the number one stressor you know, um, about wandering, you know, and maybe looking at some type of an alert system, just like we have an amber alert or a silver alert, looking mm-hmm. at those types of systems to activate so that, you know, our individuals are safer. Mm-hmm. Wow. It, with the, kind of go off on the tangent for a second, with the water safety, um, obviously that it's, it was a big issue this summer. It was something that I feel like, unfortunately, we heard too many stories about. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a, uh, have you found any curriculums out there, anything out there that um, really seems like lays a good foundation that a parent um, can go and maybe access, or is it really just uh, an, it really just about providing good safety skills through an ABA program and, and the parent strategies that come with it? I would say again, it's a combination of both because there is okay. uh, there are some really good curriculums out there, and if the Red Cross um, and American Heart and a lot of the other uh, organizations that do um, you know swimming and water safety, they do have them for individuals with disabilities. They may not be autism specific, but yeah. they do have them. Also, um, I want to say four or five years ago, if you go to the archives of the Autism Asperger's Digest magazine, I actually wrote an article on. Uh, water safety and how to do it. Um, oh, wow. So there, there's an archived uh, article on it that I wrote um, taking in, into consideration all of those, you know, different resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, as we know with our individuals, it's a lot around repetition, you know. So, so you've, you know, uh, you've got to be able to get the kid to the pool, you know, understand it, respect it, you know, um, and then also be able to get them in and swim, you know, with them and then get them to be independent, you know, and, and shaping and chaining it. So, I mean, it all goes, you know, hand in hand with applied behavior analysis on how to try to teach it also. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, well, back to, back to kind of our, our early intervention conversation. Um, the, you know, one of the things that I feel like, I, again, I get a lot and it goes back into kind of this real world flow of, um, of home-based and, and uh, clinic-based is, you know, obviously now with insurance, uh, th- there's some different things going on. I see more and more kids who maybe be, be um, before the age of three going into clinics, more and more examples of what we're talking about too with clinic-based ABA programs, um, whether they're state-funded insurance, et cetera, um, in the preschool ages. Uh, but parents are asking, you know, is my child ready? Um, are there prerequisite skills um, or, or specific prerequisites? Um, I'm assuming, you know, asking uh, or being able to follow directions might be one of them. But are there things that a parent should be really considering? And is there ever a time where if, you, if your child doesn't have those prerequisites, they should consider not doing a clinic-based program and just sticking to a home? 
you know, and I, and I think that's one of the, the uh, again, fallacies of applied behavior analysis is that we always stick criteria around moving kids or having them do certain things or until you achieve this, you can't do that. And again, people who don't understand the science of applied behavior analysis will always stick to, okay, these three things, if they can't do that, then they can't go out in the community. And, I, and I've heard that so many times you know, um, from other people. And mm-hmm. every kid is going to be totally different, you know. So um, to me, it's going to be the, the gut feeling of that family knowing whether or not, you know, they're ready for, to have their kid in a clinic setting or is it mm-hmm. more beneficial for them at home, um, you know, to learn what they're doing and then from there move the child to a clinic setting. So in the beginning, I would go always with the gut reaction of the family and how they react to it because that's really going to tell you, you know, where that child's coming from because they're going to mm-hmm. know that kid better than anybody else and know their quirks and know their habits and understand that they might be more successful in the home um, or they might do better in other environments and the family knows that. Because when they go to a cousin's house or when they go to, you know, um, a friend's house, the kid does so much better in a different environment. So that family really, I think, is going to have a, a pulse on, um, you know, uh, as you talk with them, um, where, where the, the best kind of, of services are going to be, um, you know, uh, delivered. But I always, you know, urge families to do, you know, that blended program where you get a little bit of both. Because this yeah. way, then you're, you're able to really decide. Because if one is failing miserably, then you'll know that the other one is probably better off. I think it's really interesting what you said. Is the parent ready for the, the program? Not is the child ready? It's... You know, like you said, the science can be applied anywhere, um, but I don't know if I've ever heard anyone look at clinic versus home from that from that perspective of where is the parent at and how are they going to handle this transition. Well, I I, I don't know, you know, if you run into it, but I, I run into it a lot, and I actually sit and laugh with my families. And and mm-hmm. today I had a parent meeting with a family I've been with for eight years in this particular district, um, and. The, the, the young man is doing phenomenally well in high school, uh, and I started the transition for mom two years ago to high school because it wasn't about him transitioning to high school. It was right. about her. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's worked out marvelously, and she's in a much better place, and she's more comfortable, you know, because now she can trust. And, you know, prior to that, there's, there's a lot of trust issues with our families because, you know, you get into a good program, you like what's going on, you love the teacher, and then all of a sudden you've got to move the kid, you know, and our families aren't too, always sure, you know, is that the best, is that the best option, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But I always, you know, um, I would say a vast majority of the time my kids transition more than my family, better, better than my families do. Yeah, it's uh, it's similar to I feel like just any parent and any kid. It's like my my dad always says that um, one of the most emotional days he's ever had in his entire life was dropping me off at college for the very first time freshman right. year. He's like he's like I, I he had to pull over at like a Wendy's and right. and wait for like forty five minutes having like lunch and a soda and he wasn't even hungry. He just like I he couldn't drive. He was such an emotional wreck. From this right. transition, it's got to be the same thing for the, for our parents um, who have kids on the spectrum. Just now, now are you a firstborn? Yeah, I'm a firstborn. Okay, because because I'm gonna I'm gonna relay a, a similar story. Our oldest, when we dropped him off at college, my wife 
cried all the way home. And we, yeah. we went to Boston College. So from yeah. New Jersey to Boston College and then home. She cried all the way home. When we dropped my daughter, the middle child, off at East Carolina University in North Carolina, I don't think the car stopped as we were kicking her out <laughs> so we could leave. So I think it has to do with birth order, too. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, th- fortunately, my folks, it was just Connecticut to New York. So it was okay. a shorter drive. It was only about an hour and a half. But... um but he, he loves telling that story. So it's, you know, and he's, you know, my dad's uh, a bit of a man's man. So you don't see him get very emotional very often. So right. it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But, you know, it's, it's so funny sometimes how we take some of these things for granted of, you know, what would, what would this situation be like for a three-year-old going to preschool? Like what kind of things would we look for there? And what kind of things would I prepare my three-year-old for, um, in just a normal transition, a typically developing kid, and we, we don't think about prepping. It's like you said, it's like, I, no, 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 we must hit these DTT strategies for, or targets first, right? but not think about, well, isn't the key about preschool, the interaction, the following direction, the, the school readiness, shouldn't I work on that and help this child ultimately be ready for this next phase? Um, but we're so stuck on no, 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 I got to get this, you know, I got to get this uh, receptive identification target down. Right. And we'll never work on anything beyond that. And, and I, I really believe that, that the best and most successful way of doing any kinds of transitions is having a really clear-cut plan. Because a, a lot of times we'll talk about the plan, but I like to sit down with my families and mm-hmm. write the plan out. This is exactly mm-hmm. how we're going to do it. And for some of my kids that are a little tougher, then we might backward or forward chain them into that other environment for a little bit. So they're not going to go for the whole time. They're going to go for little increments and just get reinforced by it. Because as you know, and, and most of us in the field know, once the kid has a bad experience and once the kid has equated something with that environment, it's sometimes very hard to get them to um, start to acclimate better. Um, mm-hmm. because they have a negative experience. So with that negative experience, as soon as they walk in, you know, the, the, the antecedent is just looking at the teacher because he knows or she knows the, the, the child that that face means that they're going to have to work and then they have the meltdown. You know, yeah. um, it's really about knowing the kid and knowing what the plan looks like because other kids will go in and they'll be perfectly fine, you know, right. um, but it's understanding if, if A happens, what are we going to do and having clear-cut strategies to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, we've got final commercial we've got to take. So let's take this last commercial break, and we'll be back with one final segment with Dr. Jim Ball. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio, everybody. That break felt way too short for me because uh, Jim and I ended up chatting pretty much the whole time. Um, but I wanted to go back to actually something we didn't talk about during this break, but uh, something you said to me during our previous break. And I, and I really think it's kind of a perfect thought to end on um, and, and provides a lot of clarity to this, this overall conversation. Um, but I thought it was interesting the way you said to me, most of the time it's really not even about your interactions with the child. It's about the development of a plan for the intervention with the parents. And that's what's been the most successful um, aspect of, of designing these early intervention programs. And I was hoping maybe you could explain and expand on that. Yeah, because what I, what I like to do is, is based on the assessments – um, you know, that are, that are done, you know, either by myself or, or other people is to really look at the assessments and see where the individual skill level is. Um, and especially looking at where the strength level are, because I think a lot of people tend to look at the deficit areas, um, more so, and they want to try to build those up. I also like to look at the strength areas to know, okay, what can we capitalize with this particular little individual in order to, again, make them successful and, and, and have them be more productive in their environments. But based on that, that would be then sitting down with the team and whoever that team is, you know, um, writing up, okay, what does this look like? And, and maybe it is all home-based or maybe it is clinic and home-based because they have that resource. And, and as you and I were talking, Rob, over the, over the break, you know, every place is different. Every state is different. Every community is different. So we have to take into consideration what the resources are out there uh, and find out, you know, what do we have, you know, to play with in this plan and what can we use, you know, to do this? Because some areas, you know, have better services than others. So we've got to sort of look at what the, uh, what the overall community provides too for us as resources. But really building on what the communication looks like, what the behaviors look like for the individual, you know, looking at um, sensory issues with the individual, also looking at play skills, um, especially for the little ones, because we want to incorporate that into everything we do because that's how kids learn. And by mm-hmm. doing all that through the assessments and figuring out, again, where those strengths areas are, where the challenge areas are, and then designing the plan to say, you know, in this month we're going to do this, in this month we're going to do that, and in the sixth month we're going to reassess, and then we're going to move from there, really helping the family to plan. And it's all about that plan. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just I like this so much because – I feel like for so long I saw different people just do A. It doesn't matter. We, we always start at A, and we don't move on until B, until like you kind of used the example before, we got to hit this criteria 
before we move on to B. And then we got to hit this criteria before we move on to C. And it felt very, um, it felt very kind of narrow in its, its scope. It, it felt very, very focused, but it almost felt overly focused. And it was kind of putting every single kid down this, this, uh, this same path versus what you're describing is very much like a, 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 almost like a thought process. And you're yeah, almost and teaching it's not, the parents it's not how a one to think. size fits all proposition. Yeah. Because I almost feel like doing this with a parent for two years, can't they then take this same system of understanding what the plan is, understanding how to develop a plan with you? Couldn't they then take that at age six to develop an IEP when their child transitions to kindergarten or to the third grade when their child is now like nine years old? I mean, I feel like you're almost giving them skills. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And and making them making them take a step back and, and not be as emotional in it and taking a step back and being more systematic about the teaching process. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just, it, I just feel like you're giving them such a greater set of, set of skills and tools that they can use to, to advocate as well as to educate. It's, it's really interesting to, uh, to look at it that way. Um, well, you know, we're, we're, we're out of time. Um, I, you know, feel like time, the shows with you just kind of feel like they fly by because it's just talk, 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 discussions. Um, but I know you've got some, a lot of different things going on. I know you've got um, a website out there for any of our listeners who uh, want to, you know, contact you or check in with you, um, jbautismconsulting.com. And I know you also are really involved with the Autism Society of America. Um, and I, I, I apologize, but I, is your title there the executive director? I'm the executive chair. It's a volunteer role on their board of trustees. Okay. And I know you had a message uh, for families out there if, if they're needed resources um, in terms of how maybe the ASA can help out. Yeah, the, the Autism Society, it's autism-society.org, uh, and we have affiliates all over the country, uh, and there are grassroots you know, from our national level. They, they know the resources that are out there for our families, and they're very active in the community, so they, they're able to really help families you know, through advocacy and also through um, you know, parent mentoring. So it's a great service to, to try to get, uh, and, and a vast majority of it's free. So it's really, it's really a good service to try to get, and especially when you're just looking for resources. And we also have a 1-800 number, one 800 um, four or three autism, um, and it is our, um, we're trying to make it 24 hours, seven days a week, but now it's at least, you know, um, a vast majority of the week and also on weekends, and we also have a Spanish-speaking line. Um, so we're, we're starting to expand our contact center, and that's a great way to, great, to gain information. You know, that, I'm so glad you mentioned this. I actually was just talking about the ASA a couple of weeks ago on the show as just a great resource um, since there's so many different local chapters right. to getting information about services and providers and even funding, um, because I know they've they've been amazing uh, to work with, you know, here in Southern California. So I'm glad you mentioned them again because never enough uh, never enough plugs for them and the great work that they do. And just a little shout out I I have uh, for my Please. twin granddaughters Rain and Riley. They're a little over four months. Uh, and they'll be listening to their granddad today talk. Oh. So they can't talk yet, but they'll be listening. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cute, uh, Jim. Always a pleasure to have you. You're you're the best. Thank you. Uh, I love talking to you when you're on. So uh, we'll have you back real soon, Rob. Thank you. Take care, Jim. Bye bye. Um, 
just to kind of wrap out, I got I got two minutes left here, which is great because uh, I feel like I got to talk a lot more today. Uh, it was it was kind of funny to to have today's show following um, Judy and Joe, who are you know, obviously such passionate and just just old friends. So I'm, I'm happy to let them go because I love hearing what they have to say. But it's different than to to get into this great conversation. So it's it's kind of fun to have both. Um, but uh, I want to just let you guys know um, if you're interested in uh, hearing uh, Dr. Ball's pre- previous show. He was with us in February um, 19th um, here in 2013. Uh, we did a great show with him talking a little bit about social skills and collaboration. So it's one I recommend you check out. Um, next week, we're going to have two guests. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, athletics and extracurricular activities. Um, really focusing in a little bit more on sports and, and just physical fitness um, because I think there's a lot of utility here. We've heard from so many different people on the show about some of the benefits um, for our kids, and I think it's one we should look at. Um, and then I'm really excited to announce um, that in a few weeks on November 12th, uh, Temple Grandin's going to be on our show and is going to be our guest. Um, was uh, definitely a, a, a very cool moment to, to get the email and say, yep, we're confirmed, we're good to go. Um, so I'm very excited that Temple will be here in a few weeks. And, and we'll, like I said, we'll talk to her on November 12th. Um, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I, uh, I hope you guys have a fabulous week. I hope you guys all have um, a fabulous weekend as well. Um, and I'm really take this message, uh, you know, regardless of the age of your child, uh, regardless of the phase, I think what, uh, what Jim's talking about in terms of developing a plan is something that is really one that you should take to heart. And it's something that I know I've tried to do. And you've probably heard me say on the show before, it's, I don't necessarily care about the goal I'm working on now. The most important thing is to understand where this goal is going to take me. Where am I going three goals from now? And that's all part of developing a plan. If you know where you're going, you can really develop a great intervention for the present and then build upon it step by step. And I think Jim just gave us all the tools and the tips of how to start that off from day one, as well as answering some questions about you know, what, we're, what we're seeing, what we're doing, um, things that come up every day. At least they, they come up every day for me in, in my practice. Take care, everyone. Have a great week. See you next week. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.